0: Sometimes you'll say good morning. People can kind of look at you cross-eyed. You guys, well, you nailed it. Right. All right, we're gonna we're gonna take our minds to scripture this morning. We're gonna consider making biblical decisions. We're gonna break it up into a couple parts. We're, we're first gonna spend a few minutes, and we're gonna look at some examples of those who've made both good and bad decisions. Sometimes we can see ourselves in the light of other people. Sometimes we have trouble examining ourselves, but when we see it sometimes in others, we can go, "Oh wait, I do that too," and
1: or "I have done
0: that, and I could learn better from it." And so, the, the first example we're going to look at this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis. And I invite you to Genesis chapter thirteen. Now, this is a story that most of us know pretty well, but I, I invite you to, to turn there with me. Genesis chapter thirteen. Abram. Has come up out of Egypt, chapter thirteen and verse one. He and his wife and all that he had, and he had Lot with him. Now this is his nephew. And they go into the south, and Abram it says was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went a journey um, from the south, even to Bethel, into a place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also he went with Abram, and he had flocks and herds and tents as well. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so they could not dwell together, and there was strife. Between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. So Let's get a little picture here, what's going on. So Abram's come out of Egypt, and now he's in the land that God has really promised him and there becomes a problem. He's got his nephew with him, and they've both got lots of cattle. They've both got lots of sheep. They've both got lots of servants, lots of tents. Well, there's just not room. So There begins to be a battle that kind of takes place amongst the families, and it says that there was strife between the herdsmen. They're not getting along, and so a decision has to be made. A decision has to be made. And Abram, notice who takes the lead in this. It's Abram. Abram takes the lead, and he says to Lot, "Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdsmen and and thy herdsmen, for we're brethren. It's not the whole land before thee. Separate yourself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you'll go to the right hand, I'll go to the left." And so Lot lifts up his eyes. So Abraham says, "Listen, I want us to get along. I'm going to give you the option. You choose left." Whatever, whatever you want, I'm willing to do that because I value our fellowship and our relationship more than a place. So Lot lifts up his eyes, verse 10. Beheld he all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. Lot looks out. He sees this place. I go on a cattle ranch in Western Oklahoma. We have eighteen inches of rain in a year.
1: And I can tell you how valuable
0: water is. And Lot looks out there and he says, Wow, this place. Man, if I want my herds to to prosper, this is the place. If I want my herds to grow big and strong and have lots of babies, this is the place. I mean, it, it even goes so far as to describe it with such beauty that it says it was like the garden of the Lord. Seems like a no brainer, doesn't it? Like, this is a no brainer. It's a no brainer if you miss the details. It says, even as the garden of the Lord. But notice there's a little anecdotal statement in there before the Lord destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot looks out there and he says, I I, I got this choice. Now I could choose to go up in the mountains where it's deserty and dry and it's rough. I've been there. Israel, I know what it's like there. And it's rough. And there's not much that grows there except for the scrubby stuff. And it seems like a no brainer. And so he says, okay. He chose him all the plain of Jordan, verse 11. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent, now listen, towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners for the Lord. This didn't creep up and catch Lot. I want you to get the details. Say the devil's in the details, and it was. For he sees the plain. He sees how beautiful it is. But there's a couple statements in here. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were exceeding the men there were exceedingly evil. Before the Lord did, was it commonly known? Absolutely. He has a choice to make. Where am I gonna? Where am I gonna plant my family? Where are we gonna live? And and he chooses based upon, now listen to his criteria. What's his criteria for where he lives? Abraham's criteria is unity. I'll live wherever, but I'm gonna do it based upon unity with my brethren. Here is Lot. His criteria, well, it's where am I gonna prosper physically? And we do that all the time, don't we? Say we don't. Because we do. We do this all the time. Where can I prosper? I really don't care what happens to my wife and children, but where can I be the wealthiest? Well you know what company would give me the best job what What decision can I make that's going to let me live in the biggest house and drive the nicest car? See that's the decision that Lot's making, and so it says there that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. It doesn't say he pitched his tent in the plane. he pitched his tent. First, first inclination in the heart of God. See how it turns out. Go with me a couple of pages. Go to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And we know the story here as well of how the, the angels come and they they warn. Genesis 18, you've got Abraham pleading on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 19. Now the angels they come to warn. Uh, Lot and his family. And I want you to find out where they're at. It says, and there came two angels, verse 1, Sodom and even, And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Genesis 13, he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Now where's he living? you ever seen somebody said they're just headed in the wrong direction? You just tell by what they're doing. That they're going in the wrong direction. They're on the wrong path. Hey, look, you keep going down this path. This is where you're going to end up. They're like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Right? But you know, we know, wisdom knows. Look, if you're headed down the path to the strange woman we talked about last hour in Proverbs chapter 7, whose house are you going to? There's one path to it, and everybody knows where you're going. And so here's Lot, I just don't know how I ended up in Sodom pitched your tent to it, and now you're living in it. So the angels come, and Lot's sitting at the gate. You know what that means, to sit at the gate? That means he was a leader. He was a decision maker in Sodom. He was a mover and a shaker in Sodom. Lot, seeing them, he rose up to meet them, bowed himself with his face towards the ground. He says, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. tarry all night, wash your feet. You shall rise up early and go on your way. They said, notice he doesn't want them staying a long time. He doesn't want them dwelling there. They said, no, but we'll abide in the street all night. He pressed upon them greatly, and they turned into him, and entered into his house, and made him a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. Let me ask you, is anybody exempt? All the people. Brother Taylor once said, you can't get any aller than all. All the people. They called on the lot. He said, where are the men which you brought into you this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Do I need to really describe them? We know what that mean. Uh-huh. The men of the city, they bring the men out. The lot went out. pray you don't do so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray them, bring them out to you. Do you unto them is as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. Therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Listen, sin is always going to take us farther than we want to go. Now, here's Lot. His sin has taken him from strife with Abraham pitching his tent towards Sodom, standing in the gate and making decisions in Sodom, and now he's offering his daughters to be raped. That's terrible. Thing. I mean, I don't know how else to say It's horrible. This is horrible. And then what does he do? Well, the men of the city, they really don't want it, so they smote the door, verse 11. They, they, they're beating upon it. They press near, excuse me, verse 9. And the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house and shut the door. And the men, they, they smote those that were at the door with blindness, both great and small. Can, can you see how bad this is getting? It's just like, it's a snowball. And the further downhill it goes, the bigger it gets for Lot. Did, let me ask you a question. Did his decision make an impact? It did, in a big way. It made a huge impact. On his on his family, even his daughters are being now offered to the the people of the city. In a very terrible way. So finally, verse fifteen. And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, "Arise, take your wife, your two daughters, which are here, lest they be consumed in the iniquity of the city." And when he had lingered, the men laid hold on his hand. Catch the details. He doesn't want to leave. If you've got two angels, they come to your house. This all happens, and they said, "You better get out of here, Jack. You better go now." And you, Terry, guess guess what that says? Where do you really want to be? Lot really wanted to be in Sodom. He finally drags him essentially out, grabs a hold of him, and the Lord, listen, was merciful. Verse sixteen to them, and they brought them forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they brought them forth. They said, Escape for your life, look not behind you, neither stay thou in the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant has found grace in your sight and has magnified your mercy, which thou hast shown unto me, saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. How ridiculous is Lot! If I go there, all. Hold now, verse twenty. The city is near to flee, and is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither! Is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? And he said to him, "See, I have accepted thee this morning. This thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the on which I have spoken. Haste thee, escape there thither, for I cannot do anything until thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So the sun was risen on the earth when Lot entered Zoar, and the Lord reigned." Upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities, and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind. She became a pillar of Sodom. Where did Lot's wife want to be? Sodom. Where did Lot want to be? Sodom. Where did his family want to be? Sodom. And you'd think this was the end of the story, but it's not. He looked. Verse 28, get this. He looks to Sodom and Gomorrah. Anybody ever catch this in the text? Lot looks to Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees it just burned up. Smokes rising up on the plain. The country went up as a smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot Do You know why Lot was saved? It was not because of who he was. Lot went up into, um, out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared, feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There is not a man of the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. This thing just keeps rolling. They made their father drink wine that night. Let me, let me ask you this question. Would, would they have had any wine to drink if they didn't have wine to drink in the house? I know that sounds like a redundant question, right? That's just a dumb question. You can't drink wine if you don't have wine with you. What is, the, what is the trend in this family? What is the path that they're on? Well, so now they get their father drunk. Of course, he does drunk things with his daughters, and they're going to have children out of the drunk things that they've done with their father. Verse 36, and thus they were born of the daughters. Verse 37, firstborn, bear a son, called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites. Anybody know what the Moabites end up doing to the children of Israel? The younger, she also bared a son, called his name Benami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon. You know, you know what the Ammonites did to the children of Israel? Does the name Chemosh ring a bell? You know where that came from? Abraham's name. me ask you a question. When Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, was that a bad decision? Did it look good though? On paper, it looked good. If Lot would have went to his tax guy that day and said, hey, look, I'm thinking about this, what are the implications? His accountant would have been like, hey, it's a great choice. Great choice. Biblically, was it a good choice? So that's a really, really bad example, right? But we can all honestly, from time to time, We can understand it. Go with me now to the Book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, chapter six. Mind Ezekiel. Go one more book. Page nine ninety in my Bible. Nine ninety. Please, Darius, it says to set over the kingdom one hundred and twenty princes. Now, mind you, Daniel's in the captivity, and over these three presidents, verse 2, whom Daniel was first, the princes might give accounts to him, and the king should have no damage. This then, Daniel, was preferred above the presidents because he had an excellent spirit in him, and the king thought to set the whole realm under him. Things look right for Daniel so far. The presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they couldn't find any occasion or fault. Things are looking really good for Daniel spiritually. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said they to men, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then the presidents and the princes, they assembled together the king, and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute, and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, that it be not changed, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which alters not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing of the decree. Now, a decision has to be made. Abraham had to make a decision, Lot had to make a decision, and now Daniel's got to make a decision. What's he going to do? There was no fault in him, there was no occasion to find wrong in him, so now they've got to make a way to have a fault with him. What's he going to do? Well, when Daniel, verse ten, knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. His windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, and Daniel opened his window towards Jerusalem. Right. There's a big difference there, brother. This thing had the ability to cripple, to monetarily ruin put him in prison, and even to have his own life lost. But what does he do? He makes a decision that's hard. This is a decision that many would would grapple with, which would be gut-wrenching. They'd have to call ten people. What do I do? And Daniel, he just goes in his window, just as he knew the writing was decreed. He opens his window, he gets down on his knees, and he prays towards Jerusalem three times a day, as he did a fourth time. Nothing's going to change for Daniel. Why? Daniel was who he was, not based upon decrees that are signed. Daniel was who he was, not based upon how fertile the land was. Daniel was who he was because he served God no matter what. So he opens his window towards Jerusalem, and just like the story of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, we know the rest of the story on this one too. How Daniel's thrown in the lions, how nothing happens to Daniel. But I want you to catch the very end of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. At the end of the story, the king is impacted by Daniel's decision. He came, it says in verse 18, the king went to his palace, passed the night with fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him. His sleep went from him. He couldn't sleep. The king loved Daniel. King arose early in the morning, went in haste to the den of lions, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the den of lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever! Can you imagine what a beautiful sound that was. My God has shut up, has sent his angel, and he shut up the lions' mouth. They have not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me and also before the old king. I have done you no good. Notice the impact that Daniel's decision is going to have. Lot's decision had an impact on his children and it's ultimately going to have an impact on the children of Israel. And the very reason that Daniel is now in captivity could be traced all the way back to Lot's decision. And notice what he does. king was exceedingly glad commanded that they take up Daniel out of the den, so Daniel was taken out of the den, no manner of hurt was found on him because of he believed in his God, and the king commanded they brought those men which accused Daniel cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions had their mastery of them, and break all their bones and pieces ever that before they ever came to the bottom of the floor of the den. Then King Darius wrote to all people, all nations. Love the story of Daniel and the lions. We We love how nothing happens to him. Did you ever catch this part right here? King Darius writes a letter and it goes out to every nation, every language on earth. That's what it says. He says, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men are going to tremble and they're going to fear before the God of Daniel. Don't tell me your decision to follow God can't. God he is steadfast forever, his kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be under the end. He delivers and he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who had delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. What a statement! why? Because Daniel made a decision that was hard, but it was easy for Daniel. We said, man, what a hard decision, that was an easy decision that was an everyday decision for Daniel, like my mama gets mad at my daddy. I don't know if you got parents like this. Had parents like this, like they always just, you know, back and forth. My parents. Every time my parents sit down they squabble a little. It's, that's how they show they love each other, I guess. They had this little fight. My dad always grabs a salt shaker and a pepper shaker. He's not even tried what whatever concoction she's got in front of him. Okay, her britches woo's right there. What does he do? Grabs that salt. You haven't even tried it. You haven't even tried it. How do you know it needs salt? I want more salt. This is something he's always going to do, right? That's Daniel. This is something he's, I'm going to go to my house and I'm going to pray with my window open towards Jerusalem, regardless of what you say. This is just my way. It's because of who I am and whose I am. I'm going to do this. It does not matter. People got all up in arms during COVID. People going to worship. doesn't matter. Why? That's where I'm going to be. Why? Why? Because that's who I am and whose I am. When I choose to be like Daniel and open my window as I did a four time, that means that's something about who I am. I'm not moved, see, by all that glitters. That was lot. God was moved by the glitter. He was moved by the beautiful. God calls us to be different decision makers. How then do I make decisions that open my window towards Jerusalem instead of windows and pitching tents towards Sodom? How do I make those kind of decisions? That's what I want to be, right? How do I do that? I'm going to give you some secrets this morning on making biblical decisions, some things that you can run your life through. And every decision you make, you can just run it through this filter, and you can say, is this going to be a good decision or not? And the Bible's going to give you the answer. Okay? Very first thing. If I'm going to make a biblical decision, number one, I am going to choose to seek God first. It's always going to be it. Think of all the decisions that we could fix if we would just seek God first. Seek first his kingdom, Matthew chapter 6, and verse 33. Seek his kingdom first, and all these things shall be added unto you. We know the verse, right? We know it. But do we really live it out, and do we really believe it? And I want you to hear the verse. Seek him first. How many problems of mankind are caused because men don't seek God? Is this decision, so when I'm seeking him first, I'm asking a question. Is my decision that I'm about to make, is it going to put him at the priority of my life? Or am I going to have to backburner him sometimes? Am I going to have to take his church because it says seek God first and his kingdom? Am I going to have to backburner the church sometimes because of my decision? You might say, well, how in the world does this affect you? All right. Fair enough. Good question. Glad you asked. You've got a job offer. And it's Pepsi. one of them kind of pay packages that drives the wool. What? And Here's your benefit package. Wow. You get a company card. You get a company business card to put all your expenses on and some. And, you know, boy, they're going to treat you good. They're going to pay for you to go on vacations. Your family even gets to go. And you're like, wow. You don't have a job, so you need a job. And so here's the job offer. And then get a phone call, and it's Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper calls, and they said, you know, we want to hire you, and our pay's not quite as good as Pepsi's probably high, but we give you every Sunday off. Our benefit package isn't as good, but you get every Sunday off. No matter what, you get it. If you need to go to a church event, you can go to event." And if you've got things at home that you need to take care of on an occasion, we want to help you with that. And if you want to bring a Bible to work, you can bring a Bible to work. Now, I'll pay good Which which one are you going to choose? And it's easy while you're at church sitting here right now to go. Well, of course, I'm going to go work for Dr Pepper. And I don't eat either one. I'm just using it as an illustration, okay? And if you hate Dr Pepper, I don't care. And if you love Pepsi, I don't care. Get the illustration. Which one are you going to choose? Most of us are gonna find a reason to choose the better pay. Let's be honest. Why? Because we want that. Regardless of if Pepsi comes and says, Oh yeah, by the way, you gotta work every Sunday. Or you gotta work three Sundays a month, or you gotta work two Sundays a month, or, you gotta work one Sunday a month. Yeah, and you're gonna be on call on those Sundays too, by the way. Which decision am I gonna make? See, these are the real decisions that we make all the time. We make these decisions every day. We we make them when it comes to our kids. Our our kids today are inundated with their public schools and private schools and even home schools now choosing to do things on Sundays. You got a baseball team? You know when they're going to play games? Sunday. Mm, got a decision. When my kids, you know, and every. I love I love preaching this sermon because it's inevitable. Somebody's going to meet you, back they're going to go, you know, my son's really good. Sure he is. You know, my son's got a really good chance to get a scholarship to college to play baseball. Sure he does. I really don't appreciate that sermon because you know sometimes we have to make hard decisions for our kids. <laughs> yeah, we do. And the decision you made. By telling your son that baseball is more important one time, you stick in the crawl of that kid for the rest of his life. And you're teaching him that that ball, that dumb ball, is set first. Anybody else been there? I was In high school, we were going to the state tournament to play basketball. We'd never had a basketball practice. On Why? And I said, because I'm not practicing Sunday night. Why? Because I go to a course. You're not going to play if you're not at basketball practice. Mind you, leading scorer, All State basketball player. Okay. Guess who played? If your kid's that good, your coach is that much of an ignoramus, then let him bench your kid. Teach your kid that God always comes first. Sometimes we have to pay the piper when it comes to our faith. But that God is good. And that God is a rewarder of those that diligently serve him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. you got to teach your kid to set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Our baseball games and our FFA Stocks show that you've raised this steer all year and you've brushed him out and you put him in an ice cube in there to get his hair to grow this long so you could fluff it up. And you go to the, you go to the, I know about all this. I've been there, done that. Listen, if you miss getting your kid to heaven, you have failed. It's all that matters. It's not getting him to college. College doesn't. Churches, As church leaders, as grandparents, we need to teach this. College doesn't matter. Getting your kid to heaven matters. I don't care if my kid rides on the back of a trash truck every week. If he gets to heaven riding on the back of a trash truck, that's what I care. They make they make all kinds of. Did you know they make all kinds of scholarships for college, not just baseball, basketball. I chased that basketball dream. I'll tell you about how far it got me. Y'all ever seen? Water jersey. Oh, they should make them though. I've been saying it for years. You don't see it. Why? The odds are stacked against you. And you're chasing a dreamer's dream. Do you want something you can get a hold of? You, like that. you open that window. Word seek means to chase after. What are you chasing after in your life? You're chasing after money? You're chasing after the opposite sex? You're chasing after fame and fortune and career? You're chasing after something for your kids that they can't grasp anyway. What are you chasing after? You gotta seek him first. You want to make a biblical decision, number one, you put God first. Number two, you need to ask this question. Is my decision gonna glorify God? I make this decision today. Can it glorify God? said, well, what's the Bible verse? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Is my decision going to put people in a position where they're going to have to glorify God? Well, where does that work out in my life in this biblical decision making? Alright? Application. Mom and Dad. Your daughter's getting ready to walk out of the house, and she's in a pair of shorty shorts. What are you gonna do? I'm so tired of arguing. You know, preacher, I'm tired of arguing with her. She always wants to wear these shorty shorts. And it's what all the kids are wearing. You can't even buy long shorts for girls, you know. I've heard that. By the way, I've got a tall daughter. We have yet to buy a pair of shorty shorts. Serve God, you'll do whatever it you takes. You'll do it. You'll search and you will find and you will work and you'll make if you have to. You'll get a sewing machine. If you don't know how to sew, ask some old lady. She'll tell you. And you'll sew something on it if you gotta do it. But when I choose, when I'm making a decision that's gonna glorify God, anybody ever see somebody walking around in a pair of shorty shorts and go, Oh man, she must be a really Christian. Many skirts? Must be guy walking around. Okay, hey man, you ain't off the hook. Walking around without that shirt on, your yard with that shirt on. Oh, Especially without in Timbuktu, where nobody driving past. I must be a Christian. Somebody say that? I I want to serve God because of you know. Hey, tell me about Jesus. anybody do that? You want to answer this question right here? What is modest? If you can't say, I'm a Christian wearing it, you shouldn't wear it. Makes it pretty simple. If you look just like the world, act like the world, walk like the world, and talk like the world, guess what you probably are? Walks like it does. uh, This applies in all kinds of places, doesn't it? I'm going to choose the things that I wear on my shirt. Who I represent and how I represent him matters. What I'm doing, the way I say things, the places I'm at. Somebody told me one time they said, you know, I go to the bar to convert people. Sounds like a great place to find people in their right mind making good decisions. I did a gospel meeting. Couple, well, about a month ago, I was in Africa. And I was up on a mountaintop in a place in the Guru, Guru Mountains. And, and we had this large gathering of people. And I'm just, I felt like I was preaching a whole in the And I was waxing an elephant. And all these people are just, uh huh. Oh, man, they're getting it. Now, who wants to be baptized? Everybody raised their hand. I like, wow. Never done so good. Man, he gets up and he says, I'd like to be baptize. Otis here? He was drunker than a skunk. You know who don't make good decisions? Drunk. The whole group of them had been drinking all day. You know who we didn't baptize that day? Any of them. Why? Because that's a decision for someone who is of their right mind. You're going to go to the bar and you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna go to the bar and you're finding a reason to go to the bar. You're feeling better about it because you said you're gonna convert somebody. I've yet I've heard this for years. You've heard it for years. You ever met anybody convert somebody at a bar? You're sitting there at the bar. Somebody says, You must be a Christian. I'd love to glorify God because of your example right now, sitting here at the bar, is that what happens? You're at a family barbecue and the beers come out and you grab one. Oh, hey, you must be a Christian. Is that what works? You know what works? Not grabbing the beer. Hey, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking with us? That's what works. Why aren't you drinking? You say, "Oh, because I'm a Christian." Really? Christians don't drink. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raising. and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs chapter twenty, verse one. So I don't drink. I don't touch it. Matter of fact, I'm actually about to leave because the Bible says, "Be not among wine but Proverbs chapter twenty-three. So I'm out of here. Sorry. Wait, 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 we'll we'll put it up. Oh, okay. I'll stay then. Guess who's just made an impact? The person who made the decision not to participate. That's who makes an impact. See, we've got to be willing to make and every one of these things are hard. When I'm gonna choose to seek him first, that's a hard decision sometimes. When when I choose to do decisions that are going to, no matter what, glorify God, that's sometimes hard and it puts me outside the norm. That's okay. The Bible's always said we're going to be outside the norm. That's just Christianity. Was Jesus outside the norm? Yeah. Was Paul outside the norm? Everywhere he went. Brethren, that's what we ought to be. We are a peculiar people. It doesn't mean you walk around with a watermelon on you. Okay? It means that we're living different than the world. And they ought to see. So I'm going to. Let my light shine in such a way that people can glorify my Father, which is in heaven. That makes a lot of decisions. really. When I'm doing this, is that going to glorify God or not? The way I talk to people, the way I walk around, the way I live, the way I go, every part of it is impacted. Number three, you want to make a biblical decisions, You're going to have to ask this question. Am I becoming unequally yoked with the world? Is my decision going to put me in a relationship? Strain my relationship with God. Go with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's gonna He's gonna write here, and he's he's gonna say, Be not, verse 14, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. Now, I want you to catch the picture. This unequally yoked, a, a yoke binds two things together that are oxen. If you put a little oxen, the big oxen, what's going to happen? The big oxen is going to overpower the little oxen, and it's going to go in the wrong direction. See, it won't go straight. Here, I wrote a zero-turn log. It's the best way I know to do. It. Get on a zero-turn log. You've got the handles, right? You put more power on this side, what's going to happen? It's going to start turning, but if you put them together, they're going to go straight, and that's what he's saying. He says, "Don't get yourself into a situation with the world where the world can." It, does he say you can't have relationships with the world? No, he says, "Don't get in a relationship where you're unequally yoked with the world." A good brother out in Texas, Tampa, Texas, that I knew. He owned a chain of grocery stores up there, and he was business partners with another man. And the county they lived in was Drive so for Sell alcohol. And then they passed a new law that made it a wet county. A business partner came to him and said, Man, we can make some money. People love them some beer. and They'll buy lots of it if we sell lots of it. So let's sell some beer. And he said, I'm not doing it. I said, Why? He said, Because that's not what I do as a He said, Hold on. They have this argument. They decide ultimately they can't be business partners over. So he's got a decision to make. Now, am I going to sell out to him and he sell beer in town? Or am I going to spend the extra money that it's going to take? They're not going to have more pressure on me than I have on them. Listen, if you get into a relationship where they're starting to push more onto you than you can exert onto them, you are you That's what he's talking about. So don't have that kind of fellowship with you. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 says, Have no fellowship with them. Fruitful Rather, we need to make sure we're careful about how tied to the world we are. If my decision puts me in a, in a place where there is all this pressure on me, I need to get out of it. I need to find a way out. Ever dealt with addiction. I've dealt with a lot of people with a lot of addiction. A young man came to me Man, I'm I'm so addicted, man. Remember the church movement. Battle it constantly. What can I do? You need to move. You need to move away from here. You gotta get out of this town because everybody you know is a meth hit. Everybody you deal with all the time, is it's all your friends, it's all your acquaintances, it's all your family. You need to get out of here. Sometimes, you know what, being faithful to God means I've got to move. Making biblical decisions, sometimes it means I've got to cut ties with people that have too much influence over my life. You want to make a biblical decision, sometimes you got to say, I can't do this in this place. What did Abraham Up and move. Rather than sometimes, and that's what he does with Lot, right? There's this problem. What does he do? Does he do it in a bad way? Can we just pack up and move in a good way? Yes. You don't have to be like the rest of y'all bunch of meth heads. I'm moving out of here. Is that how we do it? But no, I'm trying to clean up my life, so I'm moving out of here. You don't have to be mean, you don't have to be hateful. Just say I'm I'm doing it. I'm making a decision for me where I can follow God. Then. Unequally yoked. Can this? Listen, young people, hear me, please hear me. Both ears open. Hear me. When it comes to marriage, this happens all the time. And where we get kind of cattywampus in this is we're just like And We see what glitters. But Dad, she's so pretty. Statement in there where, oh, Flower uh, talking about Fanby. Bambi. Fanby's got him a new girlfriend. He says he's twitter He's Twitter-faced. And what that means is so enamored by the opposite sex that you can't even see straight. what happens to young people all the time, and old people. I've seen it happen to old people. But it happens young people more and more. And old Bambi just can't think straight, can't see straight. Why? That's exactly what happened with Lot. That place is so pretty. I've got to live there. That's where my cattle are going to do the best. Is that the best decision making tool? How pretty she is? My wife married a handsome Y'all may not believe it now. I was a handsome devil. married me don't be like my wife God called us to make better decisions he wants us to use the decision making skills of righteousness what is going to help me get to heaven is this person when when you're thinking about the opposite sex and getting married is this person going to help me get to heaven or are they going to lead me to hell that's the question are they going to fight for my children to go to heaven or they could care less whether we go to that's the question when you're trying to find somebody to marry. Not how pretty they are. Because someday they're going to look just like this. And it's just going to all fall apart. My wife and I were 30 years old. And I was laying in a hospital. 30. 30. Back torn all the pieces. Just had massive surgery on my back. Couldn't hardly walk. That's what happens. Good looks are fleeting. I heard Kim This is what happens. It just happens. Some of us get better, yeah. You're like aged cheese, blue cheese, but cheese. <laughs> that's what happens. So I don't want to unequally yoke myself to someone that's going to put more pressure on me. So I'm going to seek God first. I'm going to make sure all my decisions glorify God. I'm going to make sure I'm not yoked with someone who's going to exert pressure on me, that's going to lead me away from God. Number four, I'm going to ask a question. My decision is going to help or hinder somebody else. Go with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. You know, some decisions can be right, because you can it does not mean you should In Romans chapter 14 Paul exhorts the church there not to use their freedom as an opportunity to cause a stumbling block before the brethren And he says in verse 7 he says none of us lives to himself and no man dies to himself What he means by that is my decisions affect other people My decisions affect other people and why wouldn't I consider others in my decision? Why don't I consider you? And just because it's okay to do doesn't necessarily mean I always shouldn't. There are times in life where it would be doctrinally just fine to do something. You guys has a i You have a new member come in, having a meeting one day, trying to decide what you're gonna do, you take the book. Like, What? Don't you know how much work we've put into this? Woo! I really think it ought to be And now there's a squabble. saying is
1: far too often
0: we make mountains, out of mountains far too often we worry about things that don't amount to a hill of beans. far too often we don't consider our brethren and what they want when it comes to what I want and so what he says is listen don't allow yourself to live to self for he that liveth to himself None of us lives to himself. No man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. We are the Lord's. And for to this end, Christ died and rose and he is revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And why do you judge thy brother? And why dost thou not set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, in matters of indifference, when it ain't wrong and it ain't right, why don't we choose the lesser? Why don't I take the I know that this can cause you a problem, it can cause division, it can cause strife. Why don't I be like Abraham? Why don't I be like Abraham? Don't hear me wrong. There are times when we stand for something. When there matters of the doctrine, we don't budge. When it's matters of truth, we don't bend. But brethren, when it's a matter of Churches that are split over the color of the curtains, over the color of the pews, over the color of the wall, over the carpet that they chose, and people get all wonker jawed And they get slapped being out of shape because they don't get what they want. And the good Lord's called us to a higher calling. When I make decisions, let me ask question. I guess this is the way we are. Have I, put Have I applied the golden rule Whatsoever others doing to you. That unto them. Have I applied that in my life and in my decision making? I make decisions, in my choosing to help my brethren. Help my brethren. Last one. The last key to making a a biblical decision. And it really How much do I want to get to heaven? Really, it's about. In my last, in my last key is I'm I'm looking at it. Okay, I, I've evaluated and I've said, you know, I'm going to seek ye first the kingdom. It's, yeah, this this decision is putting everything. Matter of fact, I'm going to take a loss because of this decision. But I'm going to make it. Any and you know what? I, I'm not going to fit in with the world, but you know what? It's going to glorify God. And I've evaluated it, and it's not going to make me unequally yoked with someone. Okay? Check. And you know what? It's not going to hurt my brethren, me making this decision. Here's the last one. Is this decision going to help me get to heaven? Or is it going to keep me from it? I mean, that's a simple question, but we don't ask it enough. Is this decision going to help me get to heaven? Sitting here right now, you have a decision to make every day. Is my decision going to help me get there? Now there are some decisions that don't matter. They don't. They're not going to impact you going to heaven or not. I put on a tie this morning. I hate these things. I hear they're made by the. Everything. I do. If, if we would just even ask that one question, will this keep me from heaven or help me get there? Wouldn't that shape everything we do in our lives? Wouldn't it just completely change? You know, everything I do. Is this job? Go back to that illustration. Is this job going to help me get to heaven or is it going to hurt me? I've had jobs that kept me from church. I can tell you unequivocally. Not help me, I can tell you unequivocally that it hurt me i I have had relationships with people that did not help me. I've had relationships with people that I could tell you hurt. I have lived in places that I can tell you. family to heaven, me to heaven, I can make a decision on that quickest. Can be. I can be just like Daniel. Daniel knew what he was going to do. And I could pre-decide just like Daniel. He knew that when he went back to his room, he was going to open up his window. How many times? I'm telling you. Three times a day. Three times a day, that window came open. His knees hit the floor, and he prayed towards Jerusalem as he always did. That wasn't even a decision at that point. When we get to that point, Brethren, that's where we want to be at. I want to be in the in the place where everybody knows this is what I'm going to do. Is that your faith? People knew about Jesus. People knew about Paul. They knew what he was going to choose. Peter wasn't always that way, was he? Peter struggled with his faith in this area sometimes, didn't he? Think about Peter. I love Peter. He's probably one of my favorite characters in all Wouldn't Peter at times make the wrong decision? Wouldn't he in Galatians chapter two make the wrong decision? Had to be withstood. Absolutely. We we can all relate to that. And listen, sometimes we do that. But here here's what we got to do today. Joshua put the children of Israel in this position. He said, "Listen, you're going to have to make a choice right now. You're going to choice." You're going to make a choice and you're going to choose. And I guess it kind of sounds like in the Northeast. I know. You're choice and choose. Choice. Choice. That's what I said. Well, you're going to make a choice today. You're going to have to choose today whether you're going to serve the gods that are on the other side of this river. We're about to cross it and you're going to choose whether you're with them or you're with God. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve them. That's a question you're going to have to ask today. Am I choosing him? Visual. He would say, I've set before you life and death, good and evil. Choose life. Will you choose heaven? Will you make heaven your choice? Because, see, when all of this is over and all this gets burned up and it doesn't exist anymore, none of this is going to matter. That choice you made to go play baseball or be at FFA, you know what's going to happen to that FFA steer? That big old fat pig? That dumb little rabbit, that noisy little chicken, that jug of milk, you know what's going to happen to it? It's going to go down to the butcher, it's going to be chopped up, served on a plate, and it's going to be gone. You know what's going to happen to that job in 20 years? Nobody's going to remember you there. So that... Christ in baptism. And before everybody puts their song Bibles up, gets their song books out, I ain't done. It's the most important part. We're going to offer an invitation. If you haven't made heaven your choice today, you haven't made Jesus your choice, this is your moment right now. Right beside me sits, I'm assuming there's water in this tank. It's the most important decision you'll ever, your, people say, well, the most important decision I ever make is who I, who I marry. No. The most important decision is to become a Christian, which is going to dictate who you marry. Would you choose today to lay your burdens aside and let Jesus take care of them? Would you choose today to let him take your sin that you have in your life and wash them away with his perfect blood would you choose today, make that decision today, that no matter what happens in this life, I'm going to go to heaven, and, and that means I've got to be baptized for the remission of my sins, Acts chapter two and verse thirty-eight. and I'm going to do that, knowing that baptism saves me, First Peter chapter three and verse twenty-one. I'm going to do that. I, I got. Does that mean I got to lay aside my sin? Absolutely. I've got to be able to take my sin and say I'm not going to do that anymore. That's what repentance is. He says, repent and be baptized, and so you, so you're going to do that. You're going to make that decision. Because I want to go to heaven, and there's nothing that's going to stop me. Anybody in here want to go to hell? Raise your hand. No? Okay, I'm going to ask another question. This ain't wrong to raise your hand, by by the way, y'all. Anybody want to go to heaven? What are you going to do about it? You're going to put on Christ in baptism and start down that path. In case you've done that. And as one does sometimes in life, we let sin back in and we let poor decision making rule. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. what I want to do. If you go to the end of Romans chapter 14, it ends with this thought in chapter 15. He says then in verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and ought to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for good to his education. We want to please you and help you today. What if we made a collective decision as a group that we're all going to heaven? I'm here and I'm going to heaven, and you're going with me, and you're going with me, and you're going with me, and, with me and every one of you are going to go with me, and we're going to fight, and we're going to claw, and we're going to scrape until we get there. What if we do that? How beautiful. We do that. So if you need our help, you want strength, you want encouragement, that's what we're here for. awesome. What we do.